Hi everyone, good afternoon. I'm so happy you could join us for the special lunch hour lecture. My name is Rosemary Eldridge. I'm the Director of Communications and Programs here at the Catholic Information Center. And on behalf of the CIC and our Director, Father Charles Trulos, it's my pleasure to introduce Father S. Joseph Tam for today's lecture on the ethics of CRISPR and genetically modified humans. Father Tam was born in Hong Kong and moved to Canada when he was 15 years old. He currently resides in Italy. He holds a medical degree from the University of Toronto alongside several other degrees in mathematical sciences, philosophy, and theology. He practiced family medicine for several years before entering the seminary and was ordained a priest in 2004. His doctoral dissertation, which he received with high honors, was on the secularization of bioethics, a critical history. Father Tam is former dean of the School of Bioethics in Regina Apostolorum, where he presently teaches bioethics. He is a fellow of the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, Chair in Bioethics and Human Rights. He is also the author and editor of numerous articles and books, including The Secularization of Bioethics, Religious Perspectives on Human Vulnerability in Bioethics, and Interreligious Perspectives on Mind, Genes, and Self, among many others. We are so happy to welcome not only Father Tam to the United States and to Washington, D.C., but to our CIC community as a whole. And with that, please join me in welcoming Father Tam. Thank you. Thank you, Rosemary uh, and CIC for inviting me to give this uh, talk. Uh, I guess about several weeks ago, almost a month ago, uh, I was invited, and I gave them two options to, to talk about uh, something on bioethics. I said um, I could be on CRISPR or on ethics of coronavirus. <laughs> and they chose CRISPR. I don't know why. And I thought coronavirus is much more a hot topic today. But anyway, um, this is uh, something that I've been uh, involved in. I mean, the the uh, ethics of this in the last several years. Um, I was also, I guess, present uh, in Hong Kong when the news broke, when the, um, the Chinese scientist um, said that he, he, he made these uh, two genetically modified babies. So I had kind of like a personal interest in this topic for various reasons. Um, this is more a slide, uh, going back to great, of biology, for those who might not remember. Um, genetics basically has to do with the fact that most of you might, I probably won't go too much into it, uh, has to do with the fact that we are all, um, all the cells are made of, of um, chromosomes and genes. Um, and the strange thing is this, if all our cells have the same DNA, how come we are not just one big blob of cells which are identical, right? So we have all different cells in our bodies and they express differently. You know? and, and that's the question, how is this possible? So basically, this is the, the in some way, a secret. How come certain cells are expressed differently in the body than other ones. And the secret there is basically how the genetic code somehow gets translated 
and expressed, uh, okay, in, in different cells through a pro different processes, okay, by which these expressions allows for differentiation. Okay, so the cells are different, okay. And so this is, um, as I guess this is great, grade 12 biology, just for you to remember. But the main thing is actually the, um, the fact that the genes are expressed through a translation into different proteins, okay, amino acids. And these expression are carried out, and then they're the building blocks, okay, of the cells, the tissues, and the organs, and so on. Okay, now we talk about um, what we call genetic engineering. Remember, genetic engineering is not something totally new. We've been doing this for ages, okay? Um, obviously, in the old days, it's much more primitive. It's through selective breedings. And by breeding, you know that you can push a species or certain type of vegetables or fruits or even animals to go in a certain direction, okay? And we've done that, manipulated genetically, um, different species through the ages. Uh, but recently, in the last, uh, I guess, 30, 40 years, we've been able to successfully do it in a much more powerful way, effective way. Okay, this is another important, uh, I guess, idea about genetic engineering. It has nothing to do with genetic engineering. It has to do with viral infections. We're not talking about the coronavirus, but it's important to know that one of the problems of genetic engineering is not changing the genes, but how do you target the parts of the genes that you want to change into the area, okay, that you want, okay? It's the transport mechanism, okay? So we might be able to change the genes, but how do you make that change so specific that it goes to where you want it to go, okay? That's the problem. Here, we know that it happens naturally, okay, in infection, viral infections. When the virus attacks you or any cells, it inserts a certain information, new genetic information into the cells, okay? And this information is very important because this is how, um, to a great extent, we can make genetic engineering possible, okay? We need to find this vector, they call it vector. Virus is not the only vector, but it's the most used vector to make this change possible in the target cells you want it to happen, okay? So genetic engineering has been going on for the last, since the 70s, 80s. At first, mostly um, on plants and animals for agriculture and food production. Okay, this has been going on. Um, you've heard of GMO and the whole debates about that. I won't go into that today because this is about human genetic engineering and not about um, animals. But Basically, GMO is basically the ability to splice 
certain genes from a different species into another species. Right? Here we have the example of a, a fluorescent rabbit. Rabbits don't usually, aren't usually fluorescent, but fishes are. So you can, okay, splice a fluorescent gene from a fish into a rabbit. And they've done that, uh, and it's possible. So um, this has been going on since the, the 70s and 80s. So what is uh, the advances, many advances, obviously, in, uh, in this field in, of genetics? You know, you've heard of the Human Genome Project, right? So this is different sciences coming together. You know, I, I talked about breeding. I talked about the viral infections as, as a vector. I talked about GMO. Now this is another uh, piece of the puzzle, which is the Human Genome Project. Okay, this basically completed in the year 2000, uh, symbolically. It's basically to map out the genetic map of the human person, okay, fully. Because in order to say I want to change the genes of something, I need to know what I want to change and what that change will do. Where is it happening, right? So unless I have a map, I can't really say this is where I want to make the change and what that modification is going to have, uh, what effect that modification is going to have on the, on the cell and also on the, on the animal itself. So here, this is a project that um, started as a, uh, basically in the 90s and, and finished in the year 2000 symbolically. And they found that the human genome is about 3.2 gigabytes. So it's not that big, right? It's not that big. Now, um, gene therapy. Um, going back a little bit before that, this has always been uh, a dream of the scientists since they discovered the DNA. In, remember, DNA was discovered shortly after the Second World War. Okay. Um, and they said, can we okay, uh, modify the genetic information um, of human beings, mostly, I mean, at that time they were thinking about genetic diseases. We know that there are a lot of people with uh, hereditary uh, illnesses, and it's quite miserable, and they were thinking maybe if we could correct the genetic defects, then these people would be cured, right? So this is a very attractive project since the 70s again, oh, with all these other te uh, technology coming, converging. So they've done that. Um, but then it wasn't until 2012 that we have what we call CRISPR, which is today's talk. So they have different methodologies trying to do the same thing. It's not that easy, okay, to, to change the gen genetic information. First of all, they didn't have the map, right? Second of all, they don't know which part of the gene is responsible for what, right? And then the question about reaching there, okay, so the vector problem, and then making a change so specific that it doesn't, you don't want it to change somewhere else because 
<laughs> could be disastrous if I change okay, what I wanted, but also made a mess of this uh, genetic code somewhere else. So it has to be so specific that the change is targeted in the place I want and would have the effect that I want. Right? So there's some histories of um, difficulties here. We have a, the case, a very famous case of Jesse Gelsinger, who basically died from some experiments because uh, it was not done properly and science uh, basically had this setback. CRISPR, okay, stands for this. Clustered regularly interspaced short palindromic repeats. A mouthful, okay. Um, what is CRISPR? Um, what is interesting about CRISPR, okay, is that it was discovered less than 10 years ago, okay, in Berkeley. Um, What the scientists were doing, actually, were not, they were not looking for a tool for genetic engineering. They were studying um, the defense mechanism of bacteria cells. They found that bacteria actually has a, has a natural defense system against viral infections. Remember, I was telling you, the virus can infect a cell and change the DNA okay, of, or the RNA of the, of the cells be they bacteria cells or plants or human cells, okay? Um, then over the years, evolution has given uh, these cells a way to defend against viral infection. And then they found out that um, one of these defense mechanisms is the ability to uh, recognize the virus, DNA, because once you get infected once, you recognize what the pattern of the DNA or RNA of the of virus is, and then you can actually, this, this defense mechanism is very simple, you can go and attack it and cut it. Okay, once you cut it, it becomes inactive, okay, and so um, it's a defense mechanism. Um, the bacteria is able to defend against the virus when it attacks it the second time. Since it recognized the first time this virus has this DNA configuration, the second time it attacks it, it recognizes it and has this CRISPR type of, uh, of um, protein inside its cells, and it could recognize and cut the virus when it attacks it a second time. Okay, so this is what CRISPR um, actually does. There's a, a video, can you click on the, the first video? Okay, that explains a little bit about how CRISPR works. Every cell in our body contains a copy of our genome, over 20,000 genes, 3 billion letters of DNA. DNA consists of two strands twisted into a double helix and held together by a simple pairing rule. A pairs with T and G pairs with C. Our genes shape who we are as individuals and as a species. Genes also have profound effects on health, and thanks to advances in DNA sequencing, researchers have identified thousands of genes that affect our risk of disease. To understand how genes work, researchers need ways to control them. Changing genes in living cells is not easy, 
but recently a new method has been developed that promises to dramatically improve our ability to edit the DNA of any species, including humans. The CRISPR method is based on a natural system used by bacteria to protect themselves from infection by viruses. When the bacterium detects the presence of virus DNA, it produces two types of short RNA, one of which contains a sequence that matches that of the invading virus. These two RNAs form a complex with a protein called Cas9. Cas9 is a nuclease, a type of enzyme that can cut DNA. When the matching sequence, known as a guide RNA, finds its target within the viral genome, the Cas9 cuts the target DNA, disabling the virus. Over the past few years, researchers studying the system realized that it could be engineered to cut not just viral DNA, but any DNA sequence at a precisely chosen location by changing the guide RNA to match the target. And this can be done not just in a test tube, but also within the nucleus of a living cell. Once inside the nucleus, the resulting complex will lock onto a short sequence known as the PAM. The Cas9 will unzip the DNA and match it to its target RNA. If the match is complete, the Cas9 will use two tiny molecular scissors to cut the DNA. When this happens, the cell tries to repair the cut, but the repair process is error-prone, leading to mutations that can disable the gene, allowing researchers to understand its function. These mutations are random, but sometimes researchers need to be more precise, for example, by replacing a mutant gene with a healthy copy. This can be done by adding another piece of DNA that carries the desired sequence. Once the CRISPR system has made a cut, this DNA template can pair up with the cut ends, recombining and replacing the original sequence with the new version. All this can be done in cultured cells, including stem cells, that can give rise to many different cell types. It can also be done in a fertilized egg, allowing the creation of transgenic animals with targeted mutations. And unlike previous methods, CRISPR can be used to target many genes at once, a big advantage for studying complex human diseases that are caused not by a single mutation, but by many genes acting together. These methods are being improved rapidly and will have many applications in basic research, in drug development, in agriculture, and perhaps eventually for treating human patients with genetic disease. Okay, so basically, um, the amazing thing about CRISPR is that um, they found out a way, I remember I was telling you, that you have to be very precise in the way you target the genetic information outside of this 3.2 gigabytes of information. You have to pick out like one base pair, right? That's quite difficult, you know? But they were able to do that, okay? It's just kind of like, uh, we call, um, you have used Microsoft, right? That you have a whole book, and you just want to say, okay, there's one word I want to change in this, in this whole book. Okay, so you can do a search and replace of this one word. Okay, a computer can do that very fast, you know? You just 
put in the tightened word, matches it, and then it goes there. It, you can replace it or you can delete it, whatever you want with it. This is exactly what we could do now with, the, with any genetic information, in the sense that any cells that has DNA that, and you know the sequence and you know where you want to go and you want to go there and do something to it, you can do it with CRISPR. So CRISPR can basically do one of several things. It can cut it out, it can, it can suppress it, it can potentiate it, it can make it uh, act more active, okay? So for example, you know that in this gene uh, of this cell um, is used to produce insulin, you can actually not just suppress it, but to make it you know, more active so they produce insulin, for example. So this is a very powerful um, tool that they discovered less than 10 years ago. So as, as you can see, um, as a result of this, this is, there is a, what we call a phenomenon where the studies and interest in the scientific world on this new technology has grown exponentially. Um, so basically every year, the number of studies on CRISPR has grown. Right. Basically, back in 2012, when, it, when, it first, when you first uh, discovered the thing, there were like less than 500 studies. But now, uh, in less than 10 years, in five, six years, yeah, about 4,500. Uh, probably this year, 2019, you will have like 10,000 publications on this one technology. Obviously, this is not only on potential for current diseases. Um, there's a lot of applications in plants and animals, okay? And we'll just briefly touch on that. And then we look at how this could be applied to human beings, okay? Either people like you and I, adults, or embryos, if you could do that, okay? Remember, it can be done. The question is whether we should do it or not, okay? So plants and animals, what can you do? Okay, you can make, for example, the pigs more muscular, so... Okay, you can have more meat. You can have pigs really miniature so that you can keep them as pets. You can have a cross between uh, a chili and tomatoes, so you have spicy tomatoes, so don't even have to mix them together. Or you can um, basically um, make the mosquitoes deformed so that they no longer could reproduce, okay? <laughs> um, so there, there are many, many possibilities uh, when you can actually genetically modify any species, any cells you want, okay? So this is um, something that they've been talking about recently, about neutralizing mosquitoes or malaria, above all, or any disease-carrying uh, mosquitoes, um, and they could basically wipe out enough mosquitoes um, that they will no longer be infectious or carry the uh, malaria, okay? Now, we can talk about how you do this uh, for human beings, how do you apply this technology. Um, other than curing or correcting genetic defects, you can use that to um, also, for example, detect viruses or bacteria, so you can use it no, to fight infections. 
because remember, once you know the genetic code of these diseases, these, these bacteria or, or, or germs or whatever, you can target them. Cancer cells, you can either target the cancer cells or can potentiate the, what we call the immune system, okay, the white blood cells, so that they will fight the, the cancers and so on. So many, many possible applications, tons every year. Now, this talk is, this is actually where we get to the talk, okay? What can we do with human beings right now, okay? So the possibility is there, the technique is there. Remember, this has been talked about since the year 60s, the 60s when, when biophysicists were thinking about possibility of genetic engineering of human beings, and they're saying, what can we do and what should we do if this technology one day becomes a reality? And now it has become a reality, okay? So this is upon us today. It's no longer science fiction. So here we can see that um, there are two types of cells, okay? We talk about adult cells, we call somatic cells, meaning people like you and I, okay? People who are born already with the gen genetic information set in stones, you can change that. But with the CRISPR, you can change that, okay? Or you talk about germ cells, which are, we talk about embryos, sperms, or eggs, okay? So there are two categories. And then, for what reason, you can talk about Therapy, meaning that, okay, if you have a defect, okay, in your system, the DNA is, you have genetic disease, whatever, okay, you can treat the disease or you can cancer or whatever, right? The things I told you about, you can use this technology to treat, okay, uh, any illness in either the adults or the germ cells, okay? Or... The other possibility is enhancement. Okay, here, um, it's no longer just therapy, treating some illness, but potentiating, okay, increasing a certain power that doesn't occur naturally. Okay, so this is enhancement. So, it, so here, basically, you have four categories. Therapy and enhancement in somatic or germ cells. Okay, so you have four, four categories, more or less, and you can think about what can we do and what we shouldn't do, okay? What do you think, the audience? Okay, usually in the first category, um, so therapy of somatic cells is something basically, let's say you have a, an illness, genetic illness, or use, use this technology for treatment of illnesses. Most people would say now, okay, and see, the reasons for and against. So this is basically a treatment, okay, of um, of adults, okay, with illnesses, genetic problems. We just want to engineering, genetically engineer the cells that are diseased, okay, by by these techniques. And there are many, many, many illnesses that are being treated now. So these are just some examples. Um, and actually, there are active trials since a year ago on some of these illnesses, such as thalassemia, such as LCA10, which is a eye disease, such as uh, muscular dystrophy. So there are actually trials going on, ongoing, and then they're, they're getting good results. And there are many, many other possibilities. Okay. 
So here, I just mentioned, most people would say, yes, no problem. Now, um, difference between somatic and gene, germline th gene therapy is that somatic cells is basically adult cells, okay? And whereas germline cell, once you change the genetic makeup of those cells, the embryo, whatever, they will get passed on to their generation of or future progenies. So it's the difference between somatic cells, because you change my gene, but then that stays with me. If I change the genetic information of a sperm or egg or embryo, okay, that stays forever. Um, we know already how embryos come about through IVF, okay, um, and nowadays they also can um, possibly um, do screening because once you have uh, created embryos, before you implant the embryos into the, the body, into the womb, it's possible, technically speaking, to do a certain kind of screening to say that I don't only want to implant embryos that are genetically healthy, okay, rather than those which are, could be genetically defective, right, to say. Okay, so the question here is, should we, okay, um, use this technique to cure embryos with genetically defective genes? Okay, and one consideration is that it has to go through, most of the time, IVF. It's possible to do it with IVF, but that's the current state of technology. You have to use IVF, which the church already prohibits, okay? Uh, on the other hand, like Francis Collins says, there's actually no need for that at the moment because you can already screen out the genetically uh, undesired traits in the embryos, okay? So why would you want to actually um, use this technique to cure embryos of genetic disease? Okay, so basically this is um, an image that you use, right? You have basically three cars, okay? One of them is defective, okay? Would you try to fix a car, okay? And so you have a, a brand new car, which is basically not working well, but then you, you can fix it. Or you can actually just say, I picked the, the cars that are already Perfect, run, perfect running, you can do that already. So why would you go through the last type of you know, treatment to get something that is, you don't know how this is gonna work, and you don't know if this car in the long run is gonna yield, work properly, because you're making a lot of manipulation on this, right? So basically this is uh, what Francis Collins is saying. You know? There doesn't seem to be a strong enough reason to go this way when you can already create embryos and discard, okay, the genetically defective embryos or not to implant them, or then finding specifically those embryos which have genetic disease and try to cure them with genetic therapy using CRISPR. Okay, this is what Francis Gordon is trying to say. Obviously from our position, creation of embryos through IVF 
already is problematic. Okay. So here, this is um, what we have said so far. Okay, um, for therapy of human germ cells, you need to use IVF, so problematic. And from a practical point of view, it's rarely necessary. Okay. Now, we have to go to the, this part, okay? We want to enhance embryos, okay? And most people would say, no, this is a, a study, a question that was asked, okay? And people basically mm -hmm. are in favor of treatment of embryos, but they're very much, much less in favor of uh, enhancing human traits through uh, genetic engineering. So why would we want to do this? Once again, there is definitely a, I guess, a certain pressure um, to create the perfect baby, right? Um, so this is, uh, rather than be surprised, you don't know what this baby is going to be, you would, if your technology allows it, there's a certain um, business, okay, and a certain exploitation uh, in the sense that you wanted to create a baby that's perfect, okay? This actually is a title of a book, <laughs> okay? Not really a, um, a title of makeup. It's Superman, Wonder Woman, and Perfect Babies. But in general, most people will say at this stage, no, okay, we don't want to create perfect babies through genetic engineering because it could sound scary. It could think about all the scenarios um, of this possible, but the technology is there. Technology is there. Okay, now um, there is a, a distinction that I want to make between enhancement and, and therapy. Well, I would say that therapy is basically, if someone is, let's say, born short, okay, this is kind of like a normal curve of general population. Not the height of everyone is kind of like a range, right? So those who are really short on one end and those who are really tall on the end, and there's kind of a median in, in, every gen, in every population, okay, every race and so on. So if someone is born really short, treatment would be basically putting that person so that he will attain, okay, correction of height in this case, uh, to a more or less a normalcy, we would say, uh, an average height. This would be considered therapy. Whereas, if you say that this person is already normally tall, I mean average height, and you want to increase the height of the person, okay, that would be considered enhancement. This is simplifying it, but this is uh, what I, how, would I, uh, how I would define it. Okay, so therapy is when someone is below normality, normalcy in this curve, you return that person to normality. The, the, the median height, and enhancement is when that person is normal, but you want to increase uh, that potential, okay? That could be done to embryos. Obviously, we said no, but also technology is there also to do it to people like you and me, right? Adults. Why would you want to do that? Okay, what can you do? Um, in some way, it's much more complicated question there, okay, in this sense, because we 
always try to improve our health. Isn't that a type of enhancement? I wear glasses. Is that a type of enhancement right, of some sort? Let's say if I could enhance my health so that I could live another 20 years more, is that a type of enhancement? Or if I could live up to 200 years of age, people might want that, right? So there is a little bit more reflection to be done on this area, okay? Why we want to do that and why, what is finality? Why do I want to live longer? Okay, what is the meaning of life? What is the goal of life? What's the goal of medicine? Those are more difficult questions to answer. And so I would say that it's not an absolute no, because we do that a lot of times in what we do with medical technology. But we have to ask the question, why do you want this? Is this a good reason for you to use this technology? Uh, and there are many other, many other concerns, OK? All right, so in terms of um, ethics, okay, I would say um, these are the, the questions uh, that are being asked, okay, in terms of um, ethics of genetically modified human beings. Difference between therapy and enhancement, we saw that a little bit. Question about access, okay, who can have access to this technology, who can use it? About safety, is this technology safe? Can it cause errors? Do we want to create monsters? I mean, that kind of question, right? Uh, justice. Who basically can have power to use this technology? Would it be justly distributed? Okay. Would there be creation of different classes of people, those who have access of this technology and those who don't? Right. Dignity for us is very important because it has to do with, you know, human life, new human life in terms of the babies, but also dignity, also for, okay, um, for adults. The question here for us is question of why. Do you want to do this? Is this going to make you a better person? Okay. Is this going to create a type of super race, but then is it worth it? Okay. What are we going to lose? Are we going to lose our humanity in that process? Um, one question about CRISPR is that unlike the other gene therapy technologies, um, it is easy to use, highly accessible, and cheap. You can order a CRISPR kit on Amazon for 100 bucks. And so there are problems that are associated with CRISPR that, cannot, that are not present with the other previous um, gene, genetic engineering um, therapy, because here we're talking about something that is so freely available and so easy to use um, that we run into a question here about hacking, right? People could use this, anyone can use this, and who can have access to this? Because you don't really need a big budget, you don't need a big lab, and you can actually do a lot of experiments on your own. So this is a, a, a new issue that was not present previously, before you really need a lot of, uh, of money and research and, and technique. Okay, the question about safety, once again, I won't go into it too much, but in, in, in every te technology, there are always concerns of safety, how to make sure 
um, that uh, this technology is applied correctly. Okay, when you change the genes of any cell, how to make sure that it doesn't go off target? Okay, that's the whole questions about that. Okay, would it be used? Um, and it could have long-term effects. Okay, how do you make sure that it doesn't happen? Okay, there are different questions here. Justice here is has to do with the fact that, okay, who have uh, possibilities? Is it going to be people who are rich or countries who are rich would have a greater advantage using this? Um, is there going to be kind of discrimination um, as a result of this? If you don't use this, okay, let's say um, in the case of doping, it's already happening, okay, an athlete that does not dope might lose out, might not be able to compete because everybody else is in that, okay, industry, in the sporting, uh, in sport, that sport he, he or she is doing is doping. Okay, if I don't do this, I will not be able to compete at all. Okay, and this is happening in certain sports. And that question also is, is race. I mean, isn't there a kind of discrimination for those who want to be, for principles or for reasons, for religious reasons, don't want to be involved in, in this technology? For example, Catholics say that I'm, I cannot use this technology, okay, uh, to create... Um, uh, embryos, okay, that, that are enhanced, let's say, you know, in the future. But if everybody else is doing it and they have greater IQ and smarter and disease-free, then I'm going to lose out. Is my baby going to be able to compete with them, right? I mean, that's a lot of pressure there on the parents, peer pressure. So here, this is something that we have to think about, okay, when we want to enhance um, the human race. What do we want? These are the qualities that people usually want. To live longer, to be healthier, to be stronger, to be faster. Okay, those are the, the main things, okay? but also the other things. You know? So you use it for, to create soldiers. I mean, you see this in all the movies and <laughs> things like that. What do they want? If you could change the human race, okay, what would you want in you? To live longer, to be better looking, to, be, to see further, to be able to have a greater intellect, higher IQ, uh, memory, happier, okay? The question here is also, no, not just to create um, a Superman, okay? The here, the problem is also um, that these are all physical attributes that potentially, using genetic uh, therapy or engineering, you could uh, change the characteristics that you want. But we might not, okay, create a superman, but a supervillain, okay? What if you create someone who lives longer, okay, who's healthier, don't never get sick, is strong and fast and really attractive, but it's actually a really terrible person, okay? And you won't be able to kill that person because he's so smart, so rich, so powerful. What happens then? Okay, this is another question that sometimes you need to ask. So here, 
um, there's a whole chapter here that I'm not going to go into, the ethics of technology. Technology can save us, really, or can it destroy us? Now, we go to the next part, which is about what happened in China recently, a year and a half ago, okay, about uh, what this scientist uh, did in China. Okay, here is basically the map um, of the laws against embryos um, experimentation until 2017 or 18, okay, around that time. There's some ban in some of the Western, most, mostly Western countries, okay, in other countries they are more ambiguous, okay. Um, but the thing is, this all changed when China, uh, you know, that in 2018 or 19, 2018, right? Um, this scientist, okay, He Jingkui, um, announced, okay, in this uh, conference in Hong Kong. I'm there, you can see me, <laughs> taking a photo <laughs> in the front. Um, um, that he created two babies using CRISPR technology with certain characteristics, okay? So basically, this is a slide from him. Basically, um, what he did, okay, was that um, he, he inserted certain genetic modification Okay, into this, uh, these two babies that will protect them against HIV infection. Okay, it's not that the embryos have risk of HIV infection, but he wants to offer them a certain protection against potential infection in the future. Um, so this is called a CCR5 mutation that he created artificially in these two embryos. Um, and then when it came out, okay, um, there were a, a, a big storm, a media storm, uh, about what he did, okay. Uh, we know that from that uh, experiment, he implanted uh, 11 embryos, two were born, one more on the way back then, now it should be born already, okay. Um, so this is what happened. Uh, back in 2018, okay, and it's interesting to, to observe this because I mean, there are many, many news, I'm sure you've read some of that. Um, basically, the two storyline, okay. Um, most scientists, okay, came up saying that, okay, this is unethical because the technology has not been proven yet, it's not safe, and he he moved too fast, okay, he's an anomaly, okay, he's a rogue scientist because his experiments, his techniques are not mature enough, um, also ethically problematic because he did not really inform, you know, the, the, the parents adequately, he's not a doctor, he can't really have this kind of relationship and what's going to happen to the babies afterwards, so all these kind of ethical reflection about what he did, um, and very disappointed. It's actually very interesting to look at the news because um, I was there in Hong Kong when he came and spoke, and the 
basically he's been labeled as someone who uh, is either too naive or is someone who is unscrupulous, okay? Um, but I think there is something deeper going on there, okay? Um, that when you listen to him, I realize that he actually is, he might be, I would say, ethically naive. He didn't really know what he was getting into, and he, he actually did not expect this kind of reaction from the scientific community. Actually, when you look at the news, the first day of this story, when it broke out in China, he was uh, praised as a hero. Second day, they took it down, and then he was condemned, right? Um, so I, I think also we have to understand he is a product okay, of the scientific culture um, himself that looks for, I mean, to be, able, to be able to become famous, you need to be able to make a breakthrough, okay? And he had no problems of doing this because he felt that he was doing uh, a good thing, okay? Because he was helping these couples who have HIV positive um, and preventing the, the children from getting which um, I mean in the future. Well, I mean, I, I still think that what he did was wrong, okay? But I, I think he's a, also a product, okay, of this uh, culture, either in China or also internationally, because he traveled to the States and made presentations, he wrote in Nature and so on. So he's not totally naive. Um, what I'm trying to say is that um, the next slide would explain it, okay? He is looking at the scientific literature from 2015 to 2018, 19. Okay, before the uh, basically 2018. Basically, the scientific community. Okay, when you look at the reports. Okay, this is the National Academy of Science, National Academy of Medicine, National Academy of Technology. Okay, and basically, they are proposing that eventually we will want to modify and enhance the embryos, okay? This is, this is the reports of these um, councils saying that we're going in that direction. Right now, it's not mature, eventually we do it. So he explains, I mean, some of his uh, things, he thought, why wait? Why do we have to wait? Why can't we just do it now? Because if it's a good thing, go ahead, do it. Um, in, in some of his interviews, he, he compares himself to Edward, who is the first pioneer who started IVF, because he said he started it without all these things either. He, he didn't do the safety tests, he didn't have all the protocol, he just went ahead and did IVF. And right now this is, I mean, he, he got a Nobel Prize for that, right? So he was saying that technology doesn't have to be fully proven to be you know, successful, and, and he could, he'll compare himself to that. So basically he's saying that reading the scientific literature, the scientists are going in that direction. And in, in fact, when I was in Hong Kong, I, I have that sensation. The, the scientists there are saying the same thing. They're saying that we should experiment on the embryos, we should uh, allow this technology to move ahead. They call it a translational pathway, okay? 
so that trials of germline editing of human embryos should proceed in an orderly fashion. What they are upset about, about him, the way I read it, I guess I could be cynical, is that he jumped the gun. The scientists saying that we want to make sure that this is done in a way that is progressive, but in a way that we could convince the public that this is an important thing, but we don't want to make it so precipitous, and then they will have this kind of backlash. We don't want that. So they, they're playing a game by which we want to go slowly, and then when we, we are ready, okay, the public will be ready. Okay, so they're upset with him because he was too impatient. He jumped the gun, and he jumped the gun because him reading, actually, properly the, the scientific community mindset is that we will do this, but not now. And he said, why not now? If it is good, go ahead, do it now. I mean, this is another um, thing that I would say uh, is somehow not so much um, heard about in this whole debate, okay? How much responsibility of his uh, action is a product of the scientific way of doing things, you know? the competitiveness, the cutthroat nature of scientific progress, and so on. So here, this is what a conclusion is, um, that we have to be careful about enhancement in adults. Most of the time, we say no for now. But remember, this is from a, a Catholic point of view. But what I'm afraid is that this is where we're facing in the future. Okay, yes to therapy, um, but this is what I, I'm, I'm thinking is going to happen in the future. Um, to end, so this is um, the last slide. Um, so going back to my, my question, what is it that we want? The perfect human being. What is the perfect human being? So on one hand, um, the science might be able to give us a type of perfect humanity but only in a physical sense, right? But then what our faith, our religion has been telling us is that we do want to create a new man, but this new man comes through a spiritual change. And ultimately, that is what really matters. Uh, that is the true transformation, okay? Not a physical transformation, but something much more greater. And that's it. So some